great song and a good challenge for all of us as we think about. A lot of times, I guess we think about what we deserve and what we think we deserve versus what God has promised us. And sometimes we think we deserve things that that God hasn't told us we deserve. And sometimes He is having mercy on us by giving us trials. It's amazing. That's a good song. Uh, I did want to encourage you also, not just challenge you as far as the service today goes and uh, this weekend, but uh, I was really encouraged. I went back and counted the money for compassion. And I always love to count the money, not because I like money, uh, but because cause it's not mine. It's not like I'm going out to eat on it. Uh, no, I love counting it because I love to see how God uses you to give from your heart. And just today alone, there was like $57 from you guys for compassion, which is pretty awesome stuff. Yeah, you can clap. It's okay, Haley. I see you wanting to clap there. Uh, so it is it is awesome and a very uh, huge blessing for me to be able to see you guys who give of yourselves, give of your money, uh, give of your time. And, and just like Jenna said, um, if you do have uh, plans that were made a long time ago for Friday night, uh, just come on out Saturday morning and help out with a 30-hour famine. It doesn't mean you have to be here uh, the whole night, you can come that next morning uh, if you have things going on on Friday. We'd love to have you Saturday morning. So if you sign on that list when you go out there and you aren't going to be here Friday, just make sure you put uh, Saturday only or su- next to your name just so we know uh, what to plan for for Friday versus Saturday. Um, so that'll be important. Help us help us out a little bit. So we're getting into First John again. We've been going through that for the last uh, five weeks or so. And so we're... Uh, we're hitting 1 John again, so if you have your Bibles with you, we're looking at 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 12, but before we get into those verses, we're going to do a little review of what we covered so far. So let's uh, think about what 1 John uh, has said to us, and John himself, through the Word of God, has said to us. Uh, first of all, we looked at uh, the fact that we know the one, the one true God that was from the beginning of time, Right? So we know God Himself, who's always been, always will be. As a Christian, you know this God. And so we know the One from the beginning. And then we also looked at the fact that we have a privilege. Notice that word, that we have a privilege to abide in God. It's not us doing God a favor and saying, okay God, I'll be your friend today. It looks like you're lonely. Right? It's not that. We're not giving token worship to God to say, oh yeah, God, I forgot to talk to you today. Let me, let me check this off with a minute of prayer before the end of the day. We talked about abiding in God, meaning walking with Him, being with God daily, but also minute by minute throughout our day, we have that privilege to abide in God. We also talked about the fact that the light, Jesus Christ, the light of life, exposes our lies. That it puts us right in front of God and it shows us for who we really are, which is a bunch of liars. And a bunch of people that need a Savior because we live, we try to live this life that's this hidden life, this life of secret sin, but the light of God, when we get before God, exposes us and says, you know what? No. We're a bunch of messed up people who need a Savior. You can look great on the outside, 
I can clean up nice. I can even shave sometimes and look good once in a while. But I'm messed up inside. I need a Savior. I need that light to show me grace and mercy and strength to continue my life the way it is. And then we learn that your actions sometimes may prove that you're a liar. We didn't just learn that the light exposes your lies. We also showed and saw in the, in the Word in 1 John that our actions sometimes prove, you know what? You aren't who you claim to be. Or at least you're not acting like who you claim to be, which is a follower of Christ. And then last week we learned about love and how it can conquer hatred. And how we don't need to hate. We don't need to get... Not that we don't need to be angry. Sometimes we get angry over things and that's important because we have that emotion. God's given that to us. But to stay angry and to put people in, in a hatred type of box and have our little pet hatred, right? We talked about our little pets that we have. And a lot of us like to keep that pet of hatred around so that we can hold people hostage and be angry at them and hate them. And the Bible says, 1 John says, that love conquers hate. So we've looked at all those things leading up to this passage. And then we get into this passage that is, I've got to be honest with you, is a little different and, and quite strange. And the Bible does that sometimes. Sometimes authors do that in the Bible because it's, a, it's just, you have to remember that the Bible isn't like a book that's written that you would read for school. Okay, it's not like a, an English book, okay, you were assigned. Give me a popular book that you're assigned in, in English. Was that Lord of the Flies? What else? Gone with the Wind? <laughs> what in the world? Uh, what happened in the regular books? Uh, yeah, so there are other, what? Yeah, uh, yeah, there's some weird books out there. Uh, Gone with the Wind, I just remember watching, unfortunately watching that movie one time. I was dating this girl. You know how you do things uh, to impress a girl? Hopefully a lot of you don't do that. But uh, when you get older, you do things to impress a girl. And I sat through four hour, a four-hour movie, Gone with the Wind. And I'm like, if the book's anything like this, just shoot me now. But uh, it was bad. But anyway, so we got books that are actually patterned. There's an outline. And so their flow of thought usually goes pretty well together. But a lot of books in the Bible are letters. So it's kind of more like a conversation. <clears throat> so it could be like a conversation like I have with my wife. She likes uh, conversations to go smoothly. Like there's order to the conversations. You ever have friends like that? Or maybe you're like that? Where you like conversations to have a certain flow to them, right? You don't like interjected things that have nothing to do with what you were just talking about. So if you ever talk with me for more than five minutes, you're going to get frustrated. Because what I like to do, and apparently John likes to do, who's writing this book, he likes to be on a topic and then all of a sudden be like, oh yeah, did you watch the Sixers the other day or the Spurs? Like he's talking about true love and then he goes into something totally different. And then, yeah, don't you see how that relates? And Candace looks at me like, uh, no, I don't get what you're saying. Yeah, because the guy on the Sixers, he just had a friend who passed away and, he, and, and it's like this weird connection in my mind that it makes perfect sense. But in her, she's just looking like with this blank stare, like, what in the world are you talking about? This passage is kind of like that. This passage in 1 John is like, Whoa, wait, John, you were just talking about light, you were talking about love, and you're talking about all these things, and then you start talking about children and, and young men and fathers. Just thrown in there, and then he goes back to talking about light again. 
It's really interesting how John does this. So let's look at this passage because you'll see. Look on the screen or look in your Bible. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of His name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So he interjects this challenge to children, young men, and fathers. You notice what he uses. It's a kind of an English um, strategy, so to speak, for writers. Anybody notice what he uses here that is pretty powerful? Was that? Repetition. Thank you in the, in the uh, balcony back there. Uh, yes, repetition. <clears throat> he uses repetition here. You look at 12, 13, and 14. What are some things he repeats? Yell them out. Fathers, I am writing. And you can see it's a letter, right? The evil one. <clears throat> Anything else? Children. Repeats young men. So he kind of uses this repetition in 12, 13, and 14. He's writing similar things, but he's also changing them up on them a little bit too. So we're going to kind of look at that and why in the world he did that. Obviously, first of all, repetition was for us to get it, right? Your parents ever repeat themselves? Yeah, I find myself repeating a lot of things to my kids. And, and unfortunately, I, I see that happening more and more and more. And I know these 8th grade guys, you never get anything repeated to you by your parents, right? Because you do it right away, and you act on it immediately. Well, John is probably dealing with the same thing. Remember, John, in writing this letter, is an older man. He's like what you would have as a grandfather or maybe even a great-grandfather. So he's writing this to, oftentimes, spiritually speaking, little children. So as an older man, he feels the need strongly, which is right, to repeat himself. And so it's important that we think about this repetition. And John Piper, uh, he helped me out a lot with this lesson because it's kind of interesting verses. I needed some help here. And he said, you know, what is John saying here? He's saying on the one hand, he intensifies their appreciation of what they have in Christ and deepens their assurance of eternal life. And on the other hand, he warns them about those who would deceive them and urges them to have a vigilance against sin. Anybody know what vigilance is? A vigilance against sin? Alertness, yeah. It's like you're on high alert. Like you're in a war. Like if you're in a, like old school, right, and, and you think about an old school war movie, and you think about the trenches that were dug, and you imagine if you're in a trench that's on the front line and the enemy, you can actually see the enemy. You poke your head up, they might just shoot right through your helmet, that type of situation. If you're in that situation, and imagine you had modern-day technology, right? How dumb would it be if you had your iPhone or your iTouch out, right, or your iPad, and you're in the trenches, and the enemies just feed away, and you're playing Angry Birds, right? You're like, well, they did need to pass the time. Probably not when the enemy was about 20 feet away. They were vigilant. They were alert. They were ready to fight. They were on edge. And this is what Piper's challenging us with this verse. These verses he's saying, you know what? John's trying to help the reader, you the reader of this letter, to understand the importance of being vigilant. 
being on the lookout. And so you see, sometimes we also see that, you know, uh, the last few weeks, I don't know if you've gotten this or not, but John really pushed them and challenged them to really know that they know Christ. He almost had maybe some of you questioning whether you even are a Christian or not. Because your actions don't show it. You live a life of lies. And so you're kind of like, well, do I even know Jesus? So John's kind of shifting gears to encourage you now and encourage those that are believers to say, you know what? You do know the Son. You do know the Father. And you love God. And so he's using it as encouragement too. So here in this passage, John isn't, if you look uh, if you look back in the start of that, he's not talking directly to children. Like It's not like his audience is a bunch of kids. Okay, There's a section of kids, there's a section of young men, and there's a section of fathers. It's, a, it's just a literary device he's using, a writing device to, to have, help them have a metaphor in their mind of who they are in this passage. Okay, So you think about what he's saying. So he's writing to children first. The children that he's referring to are are spiritual infants, so to speak. They're people who have trusted Christ and maybe are new Christians or really haven't grown much yet. And so he's saying, I'm writing to you first of all, right? Go back to that verse if you could, Ryan, all three verses. I'm writing to you children because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. So these are people that have just trusted Christ. And then he interjects fathers in there because you know who is from the beginning and young men because you have overcome the evil ones. This idea is... He's writing to children who are kind of new believers, right? Or new in the faith, so to speak. Then he's writing, yeah, to, to young men who are growing and battling the evil one. And then he's writing to fathers who have known him who is from the beginning, he says. And so fathers in this figurative language is saying, I know you because you know what? You know God personally and you know him well. You've lived a life of searching out who God is, and you know Him very well. And so he's just addressing these three different uh, groups of people. Now the one I want to camp out a little bit on applies obviously to you guys, young men, young women. And it points out something in this passage that's pretty powerful. Uh, I want you to look at it closely because it's important for us to get it. Uh, If you go back again, look at what he says about young men. Look at the uh, end of verse 13. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. right? And then look at the end of 14. I write to you young men because you are strong and the Word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. I want you to notice what he points out. Everyone look here. Try to follow me. I know it's kind of a tough passage, but I want you to really listen. Notice what he says about young men. What is the common thing here. Anybody see a common occurrence? You've overcome the evil one. So that tells me it doesn't take a rocket scientist or someone who's really good at uh, understanding uh, writing here to understand that at this point in your life, your faith walk as a young person, not just physically, but maybe young in your faith or kind of maturing in your faith, that there's attacks from the evil one. That during this time in your life, right now, you in 8th grade, 7th grade, 6th grade, 5th grade, at this time in your life, there's some major attacks going on from the evil one. And sometimes you don't get it. 
Sometimes you don't see that this temptation to get with this girl or this guy that really is no good for you or or really has no business even being a part of your life. The temptation, that temptation isn't just a physical temptation. That is from the evil one. Sometimes we live our lives, and I live my life, uh, oblivious sometimes that there's darkness. Not darkness, physical darkness, but a spiritual darkness and a battle and a war that is waging all around us. And it's forces of evil. The evil one who masters these forces, who sends these attacks your way. These temptations. These questions. Some of you are at school and you get questions about the reality of your existence. And if you're even alive and you exist and you go to college and you go to philosophy class and you're just like, what in the world? This professor is telling me I'm not even really here. I'm just a spirit. And all flesh is evil. And, and even my body, and, and in some ways that's true. But you're going to get bombarded with these questions and these challenges to your faith. And they're from the evil one. But you know what's interesting is that sometimes those are good to have, in a way. I mean, what if you went through life with no questions, no problems, no issues? It's kind of like a, a movie that's been out for a little while with Jim Carrey in it. Uh, Help me out. Uh, he, he has a perfect life. Everything went well. It was all scripted for him. Truman Show. Yeah, Truman Show. Thank you, media guy. Uh, Truman Show. Uh, you know, Jim Carrey basically had a life and everything was scripted from the day he was born. And nothing bad ever happened. And even if something almost bad happened, he was shielded from it. And they protected him from it. And he just freaked out. It was a pretty cool ending to the movie because all the cute little proper things were blown up. And that's, that's what I like to see. So it uh, goes with my scattered thinking. Um, but a lot of us, sometimes we live in this world and, and, and sometimes it's good that we have attacks. It's good that we have this push back from what God is saying and we have these temptations because where does it hopefully point us? To God's Word. It hopefully points us to God Himself who helps walk us through those things. And so for us, the young men, the young women, we have a war going on. The Bible speaks of it often. Spiritual forces battling us that we can't even see. Darkness all around us that just wants to see us fall. Whether it's the flesh, you know, guys struggling on the internet, seeing things that you know aren't right, that's a battle. That's not just, not just something physical. That's Satan himself, the evil one, sending those things. Girls, you struggle with lots of different things, and I'm not going to stereotype any of them. So you struggle with things as well. That's the evil one that sends those things, but it depends on how you react, and we're going to look at that here in a second on what we can do. So first of all, John's description of the believers he he is addressing. He gives children, young men, and fathers. Then he gets into uh, the reason for John addressing them in this way. First of all is to encourage them. To encourage them in their faith. Piper says it this way. He, he, he's kind of saying, look, I've beat you up a little bit. John is kind of saying, look, I've, I've challenged your faith. I've, I've almost made you think, you know what, maybe you're, you're not a Christian or maybe you're kind of shaky in your faith. He says, you know what, you're forgiven. 
You know Christ. You have conquered the devil. So be encouraged. Abide in Christ. Use His truth and power to avoid the germs of error and to defeat the temptation of sin. Use what you know. Use what you've been equipped with. Use the Word of God to see that the germs of this temptation, the germs of this questioning, the germs of this battle can all be overcome because of who you serve and who you are. I want you to get that. Listen up real close here. Everyone look up here. Even the, the person covering their face with their hood. Let's fix your hood, please. So, I want you to get this very clear. Yeah, pull it down. There you go. Perfect. All right, so, I want you to get this. I don't want you to miss it. Here's the, this is very important for us to get. Again, we're not talking about you. Kind of an old saying, pulling up your bootstraps and working really hard at being a better Christian. Because all you're going to do is be frustrated. All you're going to do is be angry. Because you're going to fail. What he's talking about is that to overcome the evil one, to overcome the evil one, you have the opportunity to read God's Word. You have the Spirit inside of you if you're a Christian. And you can overcome the enemy that way. And that leads to a freedom living in His grace versus a frustrated feeling of failing over and over and over again. So you're forgiven. And then also to remind them where their ability to fight comes from. Look at verse 14. Where does your ability to fight come from? It comes from the Word of God. Let's look at the end there. I write to you young men because you are strong and the Word of God lives in you. So I guess I would have to ask you that question. Does the Word of God live in you? Girls that are being distracted right now, pay attention. Does the Word of God live in you? Is it really alive in you? Or is the Word of God some token thing that you pull out? Okay, man, I feel convicted. I haven't read the Bible in days or weeks. Let me dust it off. Or maybe some of you go to school where you actually... Read the Bible. And you have the privilege of being in a school in which I grew up, going to Christian school, and of course I took it for granted, right? I got the Bible every day. And you know what I did? I got annoyed with it. I got bored with it. Because I had it every day. Plus chapel. (laughs) You serious? Yeah. And then these other kids are like, what? You get to read the Bible? That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't think so. Is the Word of of God alive in your heart and is it making a difference in your life or is it just some token thing that that you pull out maybe on Sunday morning or at sea groups? Is the Word of God living and powerful in your heart? You think about that. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 gives a great challenge. Uh, Hebrews 4, 12 says, I think it's up there, yeah. For the Word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word of God is a powerful, powerful weapon that you have, hopefully, in your hands at home, on your iTouch, on your iPad, and all these other things. You have access to the Word of God anywhere you go to fight the enemy. 
It's a powerful thing. It's alive and it's active. But you've got to do your part. You've got to read it. You've got to open it up and explore it. And I love, the, I love technology and, and the advancements that have come. I hate the advancements that have come with temptation with it. But I love the advancements in technology that help me be ready to fight the battle. Apps that I can get that help me read and have a devotion time where I'm sitting and waiting on someone to meet them. And I'm in my car and I can pop on a devotion and read that. Where I can have my scripture reading right there wherever I am. If I'm delayed somewhere, I'm in my office. Wherever I am, I can open it up. And that's, that's putting on your armor. That's battling. That's being ready. Just like you described being vigilant, being alert. Part of that alertness is reading the Word of God and seeing that it has power to fight the spiritual forces that are all around you. And I pray, just like John prayed here and wrote here, I pray that you guys get this earlier than later. I pray that you get it way earlier than I did, that the Word of God is alive and can make a huge, huge change in your heart in battling the enemy. Because unfortunately, some of you aren't going to get it. So it's not too late, but until you've really screwed up. And you're coming back to the Word of God to patch up and to fix the things that you've messed up by giving in to the enemy. My prayer is that you look to the Word of God first to prepare you for the battles of the enemy. Not after you've been defeated and beat down and you're bloody because of the battle, but that you can actually have the armor on to face the battle with God and actually, like these young men, overcome the evil one. Instead of living a life of regret and and wishing you could erase your past. That's the challenge John's given us, young people. Do you read the Word to overcome the evil one? Or do you read the Word because you were overcome by the evil one? Do you get that? Do you get the the switch there? Before we pray, I want you to get that. Do you read the Word because you were already defeated and beat up by the evil one and now you need help? Or are you going to read the Word to already overcome the evil one because the power the Word has to defeat the enemy in your life? Think about those questions and we'll have some more for you in the breakout for today. Dear God, we thank You for the victory You've given us. We thank You for Your Word and the encouragement that when we know You, we trusted in Your Son as, as our Savior, Lord, that we have the power through Your Word, through the Spirit that's enlivened inside of us to overcome the enemy. Lord, help us not to fight on our own power and our flesh, but to look to Your Word, to look to Your Spirit for the victory. We thank You for these young people and their their desire to know You. I pray that they won't seek to know You because they've messed up, but they'll seek to know You in order to not mess up and, and be an example of Christ to others. We praise You. We thank You for them. Thank You for what You're going to do in our